Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. A nasty nor'easter. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. I'm Mark Webster. Northeastern Pennsylvania and just about all of New York State are under winter weather advisories or winter storm warnings for late tonight through early Wednesday as a classic late winter nor'easter gets set to roar into the listening area. WNEP forecaster Allie Gallo in northeastern PA says the most substantial snow will be farthest north and east through the end of the day on Tuesday. The system eventually pulling away overnight Tuesday night into early Wednesday. Expect those winds to pick up tomorrow as well. WSYR meteorologist Kate Thornton in Syracuse. During the morning hours that snow is going to start to come down. It will start to stick and that will last a good portion of our day tomorrow and won't really lighten up much until after sunset. Meteorologist Kevin Williams' freshly updated forecast comes your way later in this newscast. President Biden trying to calm Americans' fears following the failure of two banks. Americans can rest assured that our banking system is safe, your deposits are safe. Let me also assure you, we will not stop at this. We'll do whatever is needed. In remarks this morning, the president said customers who had accounts with California's Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank in New York will have access to their money today. He said banking losses won't be borne by taxpayers, but will instead come from the fees that banks pay into the deposit insurance fund. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. The American banking system is really safe and well capitalized. It's resilient. Economist Joel Naroff. We're going to be looking at a period of government closely watching the banks once again. And I think that's a necessity at this point. Biden's headed to California today, where he'll be meeting with the prime ministers of Great Britain and Australia in San Diego. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak talked to NBC News about potential Chinese support for Russia in its ongoing war with Ukraine. And I think the, the strong message that the UK, the US and all countries have said to China, but to any country, is, is not to support Russia in this conflict. They are clearly an aggressor. They have broken the law. What they're doing is appalling. Security issues in the Pacific, especially regarding China, will be top on the agenda there today. Border Patrol agents and local law enforcement responded to an incident at the Paso del Norte port of entry in El Paso, Texas, Sunday after hundreds of migrants ran onto the bridge. Customs and Border Protection officials confirmed there had been a disturbance and that the entry had been temporarily closed. Video on social media showed hundreds of migrants running onto that bridge on the Mexican side of the border, unclear whether any of them made it into the U.S. Reporter Brooke Singman. Officials say crowd control measures had to be used after the massive group of mainly Venezuelan migrants continued pressing forward against the razor wire fence. Democrats, such as New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez, speaking out against President Biden's open border policies. If the administration does go down this path, I am afraid that the president will become the asylum denier in chief. The southern border has seen over 870,000 migrant encounters this fiscal year, a nearly 30 percent increase from the same time last year. North Korea's state-run news agency reporting the country launched two missiles from a submarine in the Sea of Japan Sunday morning. 
Morning. Korea expert Ralph Kasa. They have been working on submarine launch missiles for a long time, both uh, ballistic missiles and cruise missiles, so it shouldn't come as any surprise. This latest North Korean show of missile force came in response to joint military exercises by the U.S. and South Korea. Representative Michael McCall says former Vice President Mike Pence was right to condemn former President Trump for his role in the January 6th Capitol riots. Vice President Pence exercised moral clarity and judgment that day by uh, doing his constitutional responsibility. McCall on CBS's Face the Nation this weekend. Trump will campaign in Iowa today. Some disturbing info from a study of just what is in folks' favorite bathroom tissue. A study of 21 major toilet paper brands in the U.S. and elsewhere found all contain PFAS, a class of toxic chemicals linked to cancer, fetal complications, and other serious health issues. The study looked only at how PFAS enters the food supply via wastewater contamination, not at any potential effects on individual consumers. CBS's Vic Barker. And three out of four Americans who moved last year have some regrets about that. A new survey from real estate brokerage Home Bay found the biggest regret was a tie between wishing they had moved to a bigger place and missing their old home. The regrets were that the new home was too expensive or just too much of a hassle. Still to come on the noon report, mutual aid for the family of a fallen firefighter, big changes coming to Pennsylvania's Medicaid program, and the celebration of the century times two. Well, good afternoon to all. I'm Kevin Williams tracking a storm moving up the eastern seaboard. It's going to turn into a nor'easter, and it will be impactful in our area as well over the next 36 hours, delivering snow and wind for many. Forecast details are up in 10 minutes. All right, thank you, Kevin. Now checking the stories, making news where you live in New York and Pennsylvania with a funeral for fallen Buffalo firefighter Jason Arno still fresh in their minds. Some firefighters from neighboring communities were out in force this weekend holding a fundraiser for his family. Members from fire stations in the town of Tonawanda and Kenmore out asking community members to fill the boot at a number of locations. Proceeds going to Arno's family. They tell WGRZ. It's just basically camaraderie between the fire companies. When one goes down, we all feel for them and give them a hand and help them out. We all decided to find a corner to collect from, and I think we've been doing a very good job with it. I'm sure the family's going to be well taken care of, but anything to try to help out a brother firefighter is kind of important to us. David McGregor, second assistant chief at the Kenmore Fire Department, says they've known such tragedy all too well, having lost a member of their own department in the line of duty more than 20 years ago. Problems at the Buffalo and Erie County Public Library's main branch have gotten well beyond the having to shush a noisy patron. Officials say they've been forced to start closing the main branch in downtown Buffalo early on weekdays due to what they say is a drastic increase in physical altercations by youths inside the library. The library used to stay open until 7. Now it closes weekdays at 3. Former Governor Andrew Cuomo could be gearing up to challenge Kirsten Gillibrand for her New York Senate seat. The Daily Beast says that's what Kirsten Gillibrand is telling potential donors as she gets ready to run for a third term. The news website noting that Cuomo, who was driven from New York's governorship by sexual harassment allegations and impeachment threats, is eager to rehabilitate his image and has more than $9 million in his political war chest compared to Gillibrand's five. Cuomo hasn't said whether he'll run, just that he's keeping his options open. I'm Sarah Lee Kessler. 
the Main Street Armory in Rochester has released a statement several days after a deadly stampede at that venue. The statement says the armory's owner is devastated that three people lost their lives and several others were seriously hurt following a concert last Sunday and that the armory is confident that once the investigation concludes, it will show that all proper rules were followed for that event. Last week, the armory's license to hold events was denied indefinitely. Rochester police have arrested three suspects in a weekend assault on an elderly couple in their car in a church parking lot. Police say the trio attacked the couple in the parking lot of a Primrose Street church, hitting the car as they were leaving church. A bystander came to their aid. Then the suspects tried to rob the Good Samaritan. The trio finally fled on foot, but were later caught by police. Much happier news at another Rochester church, where members gathered for what you might call the celebration of the century. The festivities celebrated the 100th birthdays of not one, but two sisters of St. Stanislaus Kista Church, Ludwika Cardella and Sister Dismas. Ludwika tells WROC, I feel very good. I come in 1963. I have lots of family. I got lots of lots of friends. Ludwika's granddaughter, Ursula Zamora, says the sisters have made their mark over the decades, especially whipping up savory pierogies and other traditional Polish fare in the church kitchen, but also cooking up happy memories along the way. If they're not a friend before, they're a friend when they leave. She always greets you with that uh, hundred watt smile and a hug and a kiss, and everybody is not just friends, they're family. Sister Dismas has also marked more than 80 years with the Sisters of Mercy. To Pennsylvania, House Democrats, for the first time, acknowledging that the caucus knew about a sexual harassment allegation against State Representative Mike Zabel in 2019, several years before similar claims became public, leading the lawmaker to announce his resignation. An analysis by the Guardian newspaper says that areas of mid-state PA have some of the worst air quality in America. The Guardian says that experts using state-of-the-art computer modeling shows central PA to be the eighth worst area in the entire country for harmful air quality. Harrisburg University professor of earth systems science Michael Meyer tells WHTM. We definitely have room for improvement here in central PA. Since we are at a very major crossroads with various national highways running through the area, that is definitely a factor for that when it comes into the particulate matter that's in our area. UPMC lung and ICU physician Dr. Akshay Avula says he sees the effects of central PA's bad air. When you breathe in the particulate matter, your lung defense mechanism cannot sense these and they cause inflammation in your lung. I've seen a lot of severe asthma in this area. You can get current air quality information for your area by typing your zip code into the website airnow.gov. A free health clinic later this month is seeking medical professionals to volunteer. Really, if you have any kind of certification in healthcare services, such as if you're a dentist, a hygienist, optometrist, nurse, doctor, we are looking forward to you considering volunteering with us. Hannah Klati is with Remote Area Medical, which is working with Penn State to offer free medical, dental, and vision care to anyone in need the last weekend of March. We anticipate like about 200 more people, members of the community that are going to be helping 
health care providers and general volunteers. That free clinic will be at a Center County Elementary School March 25th and 26th. And big changes coming to PA's Medicaid program starting April 1st. A coalition of health advocacy organizations is calling on the state to make sure it has enough staff to handle all the paperwork. State human service officials say they have taken up an aggressive outreach effort to let recipients know about the coming changes. Still, advocates in Pennsylvania say they are worried, in part because before the pandemic, so many eligible people lost their medical assistance regularly due to renewal paperwork problems. The group is asking the state to improve staffing at county assistance offices, which, despite their name, are state-run. Terry Diener, Family Life News. Thank you, Terry. And Penn State's going dancing for the first time since 2011. While the Nittany Lions fell on Sunday to Purdue 67-65, Penn State made it back into the NCAA men's basketball tournament as a 10 seed in the Midwest region. Penn State will play 7 seed Texas A&M on Thursday in Des Moines, Iowa. Tip-off estimated for 9.55 p.m. Well, now with March Madness and much more, here's Randy with sports. Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Mark, the men's NCAA basketball bracket is set. Alabama is the top overall seed for the tournament. Kansas, Houston, and Purdue, your other number one seeds. The tournament begins tomorrow. Sticking with basketball, the Knicks went west and snapped a three-game losing skid, defeating the Lakers 112-108. Julius Randle scored 33, and R.J. Barrett knocked down 30 to lead the Knicks. Spencer Dinwiddie scored 15 and dished out a career-high 16 assists to help Brooklyn edge Denver 122-120. The Nets, who have won five of their last six, also got 25 points from Mikel Bridges. 76ers beat the Wizards 112-93 behind the efforts of Joel Embiid. He had 34 points. And James Harden, who had 18 points and 14 assists. The Sixers winning streak now five. Cleveland, New Orleans, Oklahoma City also picked up wins. On the ice, the Penguins stayed hot at home, winning in overtime 3-2 over the Rangers. Chris Letang buried the game winner as the Pens moved to 3-0-1 on their current homestand. Other winners, the Red Wings, Devils, Knights, Jets, Flames, Predators, and Coyotes. The Buffalo Bills have locked up a key piece of their defense, signing linebacker Matt Milano to a two-year contract extension. And in NASCAR, it's Will Byron again. Byron won his second straight Cup Series victory, this time at Phoenix. The number 24 car had to go into overtime for the second straight week to grab the checkered flag, but he did what was necessary. Blaney, Reddick, Larson, and Harvick rounded out the top five. That is a look at sports. All right, thank you very much, Randy. Still to come on the Noon Report, a recap of some of our top stories, including a classic Nor'easter ready to pounce on a large swath of the listening area and beyond, a big banking crisis, seemingly averted for now, but what's next? And where do you stand on the whole boneless chicken wing debate? Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Certain ideas just won't die, no matter how often or thoroughly they're debunked. Most of us, for example, have heard some scientist, journalist, teacher, or entertainer claim that human beings and chimpanzees share about 98 to 99% of DNA. 
That statistic is an example of what molecular biologist Jonathan Wells has called an icon of evolution, or zombie science. The often unstated implications of this undead statistic is that humans and chimps obviously evolved from a common ancestor and that we're still, on a biological level, mostly the same. The only problem is, the statistic isn't true. In a recent discussion on the Discovery Institute's ID the Future podcast, geologist Casey Luskin explained that the original 98 to 99% figure was derived from a single protein-to-protein comparison before the chimp genome was fully sequenced. Since then, we've gained a great deal more precision. According to Luskin, humans and chimps have about 35 million single base pair genetic differences. Humans also have 689 unique genes that aren't found in chimps. And while there are different ways of quantifying these differences, almost none of these ways yield that famous 98 to 99% number. Other methodologies yield numbers ranging from the mid-80s to 90s. Why all of these different results? Well, because as Luskin explains, it's not entirely clear how we should compare human and chimp genomes. Quote, are you comparing the number of genes or copies of genes that the organism has? Are you comparing one-to-one nucleotide similarities? Are you including just the protein-coding DNA or also the non-coding DNA? I'm not sure what all that means, but as it turns out, you'll get a different answer to these questions, depending on which method you choose. Now, none of this is new. Back back in 2007, a paper in the journal Science admitted that the 1% statistic was a myth and called for the truism to be retired. Yet, here we are 16 years later and the zombie idea shambles on, perpetuated in publications like Smithsonian Magazine, Nature, and the American Museum of Natural History. Why? Well, simply put, the 98 to 99% line holds great power in advancing a materialistic worldview, one that dominates the hard sciences today. Even if this pseudoscientific meme were true, it's rarely just stated or received as an interesting fact. Instead, it's used to imply all kinds of things about human beings, that we're the sum of our DNA, that we are, by that measure, almost 100% animal, and that, therefore, everything theologians once meant by the image of God is a self-flattering illusion, that we're not exceptional, that we're basically gussied-up monkeys. Well, whether we're 99 or 84% similar to chimps genetically, there's clearly more going on than materialists can account for. The differences amount to a qualitative, not merely a quantitative, distinction between humans and animals. Far from being slam-dunk evidence of common descent, genetic similarity is also what we would expect if we had a common designer, a creative intelligence who observed one of the cardinal rules of good engineering and programming by reusing his best designs and code. So the next time you hear someone repeat that claim that humans and chimps are virtually identical genetically, point out how fuzzy that number has become in light of recent science. More importantly, point out that no reductive material fact can account for why humans, and not apes, ask such questions in the first place. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Today's Breakpoint was co-authored by Shane Morris. For more resources to live like a Christian in this cultural moment, go to colsoncenter.org. Breakpoint is made possible by generous gifts from listeners like you. You can support this daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth on our website, breakpoint.org slash radio. That's breakpoint.org slash radio. All right, time to check in now with the man of the hour, meteorologist Kevin Williams. 
this afternoon. A little light snow, some mixed raindrops, little to no accumulation. High temperatures, 30s and low 40s. Snow will increase in many areas tonight, continue tomorrow. With increasing winds, it'll blow that snow. It'll be a heavy, wet snow as well. Low tonight, mid-20s to low 30s, and highs tomorrow, upper 20s to mid-30s. Maximum snowfall accumulations from this storm by tomorrow night will be across the higher elevations of south-central New York and extreme northeast Pennsylvania. Amounts there will exceed a foot in spots. Amounts will taper as you track west from there. Leftover flurries and then developing sunshine expected on Wednesday. All right, this is the Noon Report on Family Life. I'm Mark Webster. Thank you again for joining us. Let's recap a few of the top stories. As Kevin just told us, there is a storm a-brewing for most of the listening area, although location and elevation will play a major role in determining just what you're going to get. Three to five inch range, the scranton Wilkesbury area included in that. And then again, you see that sharp cutoff farthest south and west in central Pennsylvania of that one to three inch range. This is through the end of the day on Tuesday. WNEP forecaster Alan President Biden trying to calm Americans' fears following the failure of two banks. Every American should feel confident that their deposits will be there if and when they need them. In remarks this morning, the president said customers who had accounts with California Silicon Valley Bank or Signature Bank in New York will have access to their money starting today. Business analyst Jill Schlesinger. All depositors at Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank will have access to their money. Even those accounts which were above the $250,000 FDIC limit. The second measure is that the Fed is going to make funds available to those banks that come under similar liquidity pressure. Economist Joel Naroff with his take. The banking system is fundamentally solid. The government wanted to get ahead of it. They didn't want to create any sort of panics. They wanted to make everybody comfortable with the situation. They wanted confidence out there. And the concern was if they didn't do that, they couldn't be certain how it would play out. Biden says the banking losses won't be borne by taxpayers, but will instead come from fees that banks pay into the deposit insurance fund. A bridge in El Paso, Texas, is back open after a rush of migrants closed it down yesterday afternoon. Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick says he wasn't surprised by the quick action from law enforcement. DPS, Border Patrol working together, they put the call out for backup and our state was there to support them. Hundreds of migrants, most of whom were Venezuelan, stormed the Paso del Norte International Bridge after hearing word that the border might be open for express asylum. Border Patrol responded and a standoff ensued. White House sources say President Biden will approve an $8 billion oil drilling project in Alaska. The ConocoPhillips Willow project was initially approved by the Trump administration in 2020, but a federal judge ordered the project halted in 2021 due to faulty environmental impact assessments by the government. According to ConocoPhillips, the Willow project would produce 180,000 barrels of oil per day and create 2,500 construction jobs. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is planning to make surveillance footage from the January 6th Capitol riot widely available. My goal here is transparency, and we will slowly roll out to every individual uh, news agency. They can come see the tapes as well. McCarthy making those comments yesterday. He vowed to let everyone see the tapes to bring their own judgment. The California Republican... 
The California Republican recently came under fire for giving Fox News host Tucker Carlson exclusive access to thousands of hours of footage from those attacks. The U.S. still has the safest aviation system in the world. That, according to the National Transportation Safety Board's Jennifer Homedy, appearing on ABC's This Week, she expressed confidence despite at least six close call incidents between airplanes since December. Humandy explained that while there are risks that clearly need to be evaluated, the NTSB is investigating to make sure nothing more catastrophic occurs. Daylight savings time is back. Clocks sprung forward in most of the U.S. at 2 a.m. Sunday with a disruption to the circadian rhythm. The body's internal clock, the shift could have negative health impacts. Sleep researchers say between a quarter and third of the population feels a little down for the first few weeks after the times change. After the time change, emergency rooms typically see an increase in cardiovascular disease, heart attacks, stroke, and fatal car accidents in the week following the time change. And a Chicago man has a bone to pick with Buffalo Wild Wings. The man filed a class action lawsuit over claims the sports bar franchise falsely advertises its boneless wings. He believes the boneless wings are closer to chicken nuggets than wings. He claims Buffalo Wild Wings leads customers to believe that their boneless wings are deboned chicken wings made up completely of chicken wing meat. I'm Michael Kastner. All right, you're listening to the Noon Report on Family Life. This is Family Life Hometowns, a chance to get to know the stories behind the cities, towns, villages, and burgs that make up the Family Life listening area. We take a look at their history and learn what makes them special. Today, we spotlight Oneida County, New York. They say real estate is all about location, and Oneida County on the northeastern border of the listing area definitely has that going for it. The Y-shaped county in upstate's midpoint encompasses half of Oneida Lake to the west, Rome, New York at its center, and Utica to the east. Ironically, it does not include the city of Oneida, which lies just over the western border in Madison County. It owes its name to the Oneida Indian Nation, which allied itself early on with the fledgling United States. Rebecca McLean is executive director of the Oneida County History Center. The Oneida were one of the only indigenous groups allied with the Patriots and fought along our side. We had the Battle of Oriskany here. There's Fort Stanwix, which at one time was also called Fort Schuyler. There was a battle, but a lot of it has to do with our geography, our locations, the natural waterways that were originally travel routes. Everybody wanted access to these. I mean, it's much larger than that, but here at least locally. We were an advantageous place geographically. Many new nations coming into the area wanted this territory. A big key in Oneida County history was the building of the Erie Canal, which turned the county into a melting pot. The big kind of turning point for not just Oneida County, but much of New York State would be the construction of the Erie Canal, and obviously people were, were moving here before that. Beyond the in, indigenous people, um, some early settlers here would have been the English and the Dutch, Welsh and German populations came in 
after that, we get a lot of Irish and Italian immigrants as we move on Lebanese. So we really are a place built up by newcomers. But the Erie Canal, really, the construction of that, that just brought a ton of new people to the area, not just to build it, but you think of the commerce along the way and all the pieces needed to build that and then its expansion. And really that kind of, again, follows some natural waterways and later advancements in transportation followed similar routes. Erie Canal is really big, not just for Oneida County history, but New York State. It opened up the West. One interesting historical footnote comes in the form of John Humphrey Noyes. He founded a company you've probably heard of as part of a controversial community you probably haven't heard of. They were this utopian community. They practiced communal marriage. So everyone was married to everyone. I don't think that went over very well with the locals. They were very progressive in many different ways. Anybody could work any job they wanted. They just wanted people to be happy. They were prosperous financially in the area. So one way they're able to succeed, I think everybody probably has heard of Oneida Silverware or Oneida Flatware. They were the original owners of that company, which outlasted um, the community over a century. Noise was a complicated man, but I think he did get run out of the community, and um, you know, eventually the community fails. <laughs> While noise experiment petered out, Oneida Silverware and Oneida County did not, and a big part of that more modern-day success has been the Oneida Indian Nation. They absolutely still live in the area. Well, I guess everybody probably knows the casino. There's a Turning Stone. There's Vernon Downs. They own a number of gas stations, so I think they are one of the largest employers in the county. I think there's always been an effort to maintain their cultural heritage and kind of keep that alive. Keep seeing more and more a resurgence and partnerships with other community organizations like the Munson Williams Art Museum and us to kind of spread that heritage and their culture with the surrounding community. And I think they're, I'm pretty sure they're building a new cultural center. McLean says the Oneida County of today has a lot to offer, history and more. There's a ton of great things to do here. We are very lucky here. We have as much connection to state in national history as any other place. We mentioned the Erie Canal. The first shovelful was dug here. The first section of it was completed here. We had a huge textile industry here in the late 18 and early 1900s, other manufacturing, railroads. There's a lot of famous individuals from here, inventors and such like that. We're lucky to live in a place that we do. And today, I think it's great. It's a nice community. It is a city, but it still feels like a small town. You get the perks of a city, but um, the benefits of a small town. So very friendly, a lot of good non-chain restaurants, still so mom and pop restaurants. We have a world-class art museum and uh, Utica itself is trying to revive downtown. So we just had the Nexus Center was just built and there's a new hospital going up. So I think our future here looks very promising. You've been listening to Family Life Hometowns, a look at the cities, towns, villages, and burgs that make up the Family Life listening area. Please join us again next time for another edition of Family Life Hometowns. Family Life Hometowns airs Mondays during the Noon Report or online anytime at familylife.org. Just ahead, we hope you can stay awake just a few minutes longer to hear all about National Napping Day. Now then, little kittens, it's time for your nap. You can get some lovely rest right there in your nice new hammocks. But naps are for little babies.
Keys. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life Regional Weather Forecast. We have a nor'easter ahead, churning up the eastern seaboard, eastern Virginia now. Going to deliver a big snow to parts of the area, some wind as well. Let's spell things out in forecast form. First of all, for this afternoon, just some nuisance precipitation, a little light snow, some mixed raindrops, little to no accumulation. High temperatures, 30s and low 40s. Snow will increase in many areas tonight, continue tomorrow. With increasing winds, it'll blow that snow. It'll be a heavy, wet snow as well. Low tonight, mid-20s to low 30s, and highs tomorrow, upper 20s to mid-30s. Maximum snowfall accumulations from this storm by tomorrow night will be across the higher elevations of south-central New York and extreme northeast Pennsylvania. Amounts there will exceed a foot in spots. Amounts will taper as you track west from there. Leftover flurries and then developing sunshine expected on Wednesday. Thank you very much, Kevin Williams. Finally at noon. Can't you see that I need have been taking them for thousands of years and they're not just for little kids. We're talking naps on this National Napping Day. The day after the time change, the perfect time for that. Many of us might be dragging a little bit. Nothing fixes that quite like a little nap time. They're far better for you than coffee or energy drinks too. The Spanish of course are famous for their habit of taking a little afternoon siesta, but the practice goes back centuries. Roman physicians around the time of Christ prescribed naps for medicinal purposes. But before you close those heavy lids for 40 winks, there's a right way and wrong way to nap. Sleep experts say taking a 20 to 30 minute nap will make you feel energized. A 60 minute nap is going to leave you a bit groggy. One of the biggest benefits of a good nap, it keeps your heart healthy. People who nap reduce their risk for heart disease and heart related death. So if you can, find a quiet spot, curl up and nap your way to better health. I feel one coming on right now. That's the world we live in for Monday, March 13th, 2023. As always, thank you very much for listening. I'm Mark Webster, Family Life News. You've been listening to The Noon Report, heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.